0: Sunbed by Sophie Ward Elizabeth Price turned to her husband at the exact moment he closed his eyes Are you going to sleep? Nicholas started and grabbed the arm of the wicker chair in which he'd chosen to recline while the sun dropped into the Atlantic What? You're falling asleep It's not even six o'clock and we're due at the Olivers at seven Really? Elizabeth took the glass tumbler from his hand as she stood up. We're not dead yet, Nicky. She left the glasses in the sink and went to her bedroom to get ready for the evening, switching the television on and turning up the volume for the evening soap marathon as she passed. It was not that she minded Nicholas having a nap quite, he'd always been very relaxed. Relaxed enough to drop off at any second, but she began to count up the amount of time she spent awake and alone over the course of a day, and to find it creepy. At her dressing table, she swept a cream blusher over her cheeks with her fingertips and peered into the mirror. Since they had left England, she had very few people to talk on a casual daily basis. She was still busy, of course, with her classes and the house and Nicky to take care of, and how many women, somewhat over 50, could claim to be as fit and attractive as she was, studying capoeira with the masters. But much of her day was spent in her own company or that of her husband, and it was hard not to feel, on occasion and especially at night, that she was fading like a once vivid stain on a sheet that, with every wash, grows paler until you forgot it had ever existed. I do exist, she thought, warming to her theme with a swipe of mascara brush along her thinning lashes. I am not some insipid Anita Bruckner heroine, wilting among the mahogany furniture and made Maida Vale. I am still a catch. Do you find me so boring? Elizabeth stared at the reflection of her husband, who'd wandered into the bedroom, was looking rather hopelessly for his socks on the end of the bed. So boring you can't stay awake for a few minutes and have a conversation? And it was like that, she remembered, and swivelled round on the footstool to better address him. It was as though she were the cue to drop off, to stop concentrating and drift away. He didn't fall asleep when he was in his studio. He created works of art, big, beautiful canvases filled with colour and heat. He did not, she blinked at the thought, fall asleep in his oil paint the way he'd done to his dinner more than once. Nicholas Price stood for a moment and waited for his wife to finish. I'm terribly sorry, my darling. Have you seen my socks? I feel sure I left them on the bed. His tone was entirely reasonable. I expect they've gone to look for your cardigan so they can reminisce about the good old days. It's 81 degrees outside. Is it? Nicholas kissed the top of his wife's head as he sauntered into the bathroom. If only I looked after myself as well as you look after yourself, my love, I doubt I'd feel the cold so much. He closed the door behind him and Elizabeth grabbed her dress and the wardrobe and slid it over her head. Nicholas always had preferred negative attention. Absent father, repressed mother, she thought, smoothing the bias-cast satin over her hips. Her own mother had been a therapist, Freudian. In the days when a woman practising Freudian analytic psychotherapy was slightly daring. Elizabeth had grown up with the flipped dismissal of her parents' friends as egotists, introverts and neurotics. How easy it had seemed to categorise the human psyche as though each were the result of a knitting pattern, all terribly masculine and hearty like assorted tweeds. had Nicholas been commenting on her figure? She twisted round to see if she could catch sight of her backside. She had grown a little larger, certainly over the last while, and she could feel the pull of it in her clothes, in the new weight of flesh that folded and rolled when she turned in bed. Hormonal changes. She'd been warned to expect this difference in her metabolism. There were loud exchanges over tea with other expat ladies at the only hotel on the beach for miles. The good doctor and Fortaleza will help you when the time comes. All herbal remedies, bien sûr. Cocaine is herbal, Beatrice, Elizabeth replied. Beatrice has smiled and sniffed extravagantly. Well, isn't that marvellous too? From the sitting room came the impassioned voices of Brazilian actors, hurling themselves in and out of love and cardboard scenery with equal fervor. One of the many reasons the prices had moved to Canoa Cabreda had been the one that remained, undiminished for Elizabeth at least, was an affinity with the language. Her mother had brought her up to believe in their fantastical ancestors, whose fortune had been built on port. Whenever a certain advertisement appeared on their television, her mother would exclaim, That's your great-great-uncle. You were descended from a long line of pirates. Elizabeth was never certain of the connection between fortified wines and theft on the high seas, but influence of her Mediterranean lineage was evident as she grew older, in the easy tan and quick temper, the bump on her nose and the curl of her unruly hair that had become even wilder in her daughter for a time. At the thought of Rachel, Elizabeth frowned. "'I'm hungry,' Nicholas said, emerging from the bathroom. "'When are we leaving?' He paused at the particular expression on his wife's face which he had come to recognise over the years as pertaining to their daughter and which was in danger of being engraved upon her brow in a relief map of suffering. It's tea time in England. I'm sure you can call her if you'd like. Don't be ridiculous, Nicholas. I've only just dressed. Her husband shrugged and glanced at the end of the bed one more time before he left the room again. 35 years of marriage had encouraged him to believe that socks like sex and good humour, were liable to become available without any prior notice. You just had to hold your nerve. (laughs) The passions of Brazilian soap stars were muted by the door closing behind him. Elizabeth decanted the contents of her day handbag into her evening clutch purse and tried to concentrate on the night ahead. She did not want to think about Rachel. If the inner life of her husband was only available to her as a series of noises, a Morse code of the soul, her daughter's mind was unknowable even in semaphore. A television conversation, especially long distance, required preparation if Elizabeth was not to cry. She buried her mobile phone into the bag and concentrated on arranging her hair in the mirror. Blonde highlights covered the grey streaks, but the effect was one of maintenance rather than youth. The curl, so liberated by the humidity when they first arrived in Brazil, had been tamed by bleach and no longer bounced when she walked, but sat limply on the shoulders of the Jersey shifts Elizabeth favored by the day. Her reflection now, lit only by the table lamp, looked back at her as though from underwater. Elizabeth peered closer. You are still in there, she said, without conviction. The face of her daughter stared up from the depths. Elizabeth pressed her forehead against the cool glass and closed her eyes. Such a quiet baby. You could hardly tell she was breathing most of the time. Tiptoe over to her basket and pull at the hem of her little dress. Black hair and a sweaty floss around the dainty face. Pick her up and hold her close. Feel how much she loves you, how much she needs you, everything ahead of her, all the adventure to come. What on earth are you doing? Elizabeth asked when she walked outside only a few minutes later. The edge of the garden was hazy with purple light from the ocean sunset. Nicholas sat behind the steering column of the jeep with a book balanced on the wheel and a torch between his teeth. What I'm always bloody doing, waiting, my angel, Nicholas added, removing the torch. Elizabeth heard the deep intake of his breath. We don't have to go, you know. Another breath. If you'd rather speak to Rachel, she's your daughter too. Nicholas put the car into gear and pulled out of the drive. At the top of the hill... Elizabeth looked back at the house. The pool was a glass-blue rectangle lit from below. From a distance, the sunbeds were doll furniture arranged in a row as though a crowd of tiny tourists were about to arrive. Elizabeth stared at the garden until the car rounded the corner. The lounges had been her idea, a memory from a teenage holiday in the south of France. You didn't need sunbeds in Tiverton. Or the Brazilian coast, as it turned out. Still, she had wanted them, and they looked very pretty by the pool, even if it was far too hot when the sun was out to ever lie on one. That was hardly the point, she told Nicholas, when he'd refused to help her buy cushions to soften the white benches. The sunbeds were decorative, a promise of something. Melanoma, her husband said, and she'd been forced to take the taxi to Fortaleza. The beds weren't supposed to be occupied. In any case, they were a fantasy she'd nursed since her adolescent summer abroad when she'd watched the beautiful people at play by the side of the pool. She developed her own theory of attraction she sat in her sensible one piece with her mother's handbag tucked under the paper striping that bound the 1970s lounger together. All the drinking and smoking and reading and flirting that happened while the sunbathers paraded and dipped and posed. Whole days spent going back and forth from the bar to the pool to the chairs and the sunbeds themselves were the source of the activity. The houses to which the bronzed ones retired and rested, collected their cigarettes, a sun cream, a hat or a book. Elizabeth longed for a future where she'd have her own perfect objects to represent her true self. When that happened, the right man would walk past her sunbed and fall in love with her just on the evidence of her taste she wouldn't even need to be there cheer up my turtle dove nicholas swung the jeep along the main road and swerved to avoid the potholes Oh, bath knows how to throw a party The Oliver's house leant towards the North Atlantic. Flaking plaster walls and columns were lit, lit by exterior lamps scattered throughout the dense foliage that rose up from the sheer cliff at the end of the garden. The effect was one of tropical disarray, as though the house were being reclaimed by the landscape and the entire property were on an inevitable trajectory into the sea below. Elizabeth's vertigo surged and she clutched at the walking stick she had the good sense to bring. The smooth wood of the carved duck's head felt cool beneath her palm. She hardly needed the support. It was more of a prop to make sure she was given one of the few comfortable chairs the Olivers possessed. And she enjoyed the attention such a small inconvenience brought. The stick had originally been Nicky's idea. You can take it to your dance classes. I'm sure one of your Latin lovers could do with a swipe or two. Capoeira and an enigmatic smile. Possibly... She encouraged her husband's jealousy. And as he never visited her at the studio, there was no need for him to know that the few men who attended her class were a little older than him. Or that the only man younger than her was now called Sophia and had breasts. The jeep came to an abrupt halt immediately outside the Oliver's front door, causing a woman holding a drinks tray to jump. Close enough. Don't overdo it, Nikki. I'm not getting a lift home from Atalanta again. We must ask her to live with us. We could do with a non-drinker in the house. Nicholas hurled Elizabeth's door open and waited while she gathered her belongings and dismounted. The only reason she doesn't drink is because she is an alcoholic, which hardly counts. And as you know perfectly well, I drink very little these days. So true, but then you don't drive either. I most certainly do drive. I'm an excellent driver. Elizabeth drew a glass on the tray of a passing waiter as they walked into the hallway. You don't have a driving license, though, my love, which amounts to the same thing. The driving examiner was having a nervous breakdown. Technicality is Trying as they may, are the essence in these matters. They wrote me a letter of apology. We should carry it with us at all times. We put a man on the moon. We've given Keith Chegwin a career. It cannot be beyond the realms of possibility that your letter is accepted as a de facto license to drive. Keith Chegwin? For goodness sake, Nicholas. Cheggers to his friends, of whom sadly <laughs> I did not number. You're not to drink any whiskey tonight. Very good. Nicholas looked past Elizabeth's head into the garden beyond. Just going to have a little chat with Atlanta. She might have some tips. Do you need any help? Of course not. Elizabeth smiled at an elderly gentleman in a velvet suit. Really, the Oliver's friends were alarmingly aged. Couldn't be good for you to constantly associate with so many old people. She took out her glasses to afford a better view of the numerous unframed canvases in the wide hallway. The man in the velvet suit tipped his silver head in her direction and turned back to his companion, who appeared to be dressed in a caftan. Elizabeth nodded to herself and caught velvet suit glancing back at her. To cover the moment she raised her glass at him, found it was almost empty and looked at the waiter. Rachel had worn a similar garment when she was pregnant. On more than one occasion, Elizabeth had arrived at her daughter's house to find her wafting around in an outfit that most closely resembled a bedspread without the redemption of simplicity. The first time when she asked her whether she was going to dress, Rachel had opened her arms and performed a little twirl. This is it, mum. Freedom. I see. Very brave. Rachel's face flushed. Why should I want to trust myself up like a chicken? I don't so your only choices Rachel really does Catherine like a get up like this we don't model our relationship on your patriarchal heteronormative repression she sees me as a person you don't have to look hideous to be seen as a person hideous <laughs> Rachel's voice had ridden to her teenage octave oh no you you never look hideous why do you always take everything I say the wrong way Elizabeth eyed a wooden bench that perched unevenly against a peeling wall. A tiny quantity of Valium she'd taken over sunset drinks with Nicholas had worn off, and she reached into her purse for something stronger. Where was everybody? The waiter had not returned, and there was barely enough wine in her glass to help her swallow the pills. The bench was too precarious to risk, and she really should circulate a little. She hadn't even seen all of us. She was very hot. Neck clammy beneath the damp clots of her hair, and the slight breeze in the garden called to her. She dropped her purse and a stick with a clatter on the stone floor and sensed the gaze of velvet suit as she placed the glass next to the lipstick stained bag and tugged at the hem of her dress. She drew herself up and headed for the garden in as straight a line as she could manage and imagined Beatrice Oliver whispering to her later, My dear, you quite fascinated the gentleman I invited for my single friends. They were all furious. How do you do it? <laughs> the garden glowed in the lamplight. Cigarette smoke and mountain laurels scented the hot night air. Elizabeth stood on the terrace and surveyed the party. The pain she felt creeping in at her temples now receding as the wave of warmth for the other guests washed over her. By the drinks table, Atalanta was swaying unrhythmically to a Portuguese ballad broadcast from an upstairs balcony. She could see Nicholas, an entire skewer of chicken livers in one hand and cigarette in the other. He was talking expansively to a man in crumpled linen trousers who Elizabeth recognised from previous parties at the Olivers as a ceramicist of some renown. Both men wore expressions of utter bliss on their grizzled faces. They might be in love, Elizabeth thought, if love were measured in joy. Beatrice Oliver waved at her over the shoulder of a man with a grey ponytail who had his arm around her waist. She kissed his bearded cheek and headed towards Elizabeth with an alarming smile. Elizabeth, where have you been? You don't even have a drink, darling. I haven't felt like drinking, Elizabeth said. And wasn't it the truth? You know how it is. Beatrice's smile widened, though it seemed hardly possible. Oh, my dear, but they didn't say everything was better with your poor t- daughter? Tumor all gone? Yes, yes. Elizabeth made sure to raise her eyebrows a little at the idea. Really, Beatrice is almost a simpleton. Then we must celebrate. There's someone here I'm longing to introduce you to. Beatrice thrust an arm through Elizabeth's and pulled her away from the terrace. Elizabeth's knee sagged at the sudden move, and she struggled to maintain her balance, but she refused to communicate her distress to her hostess. Beatrice was five years older than her, and braless in a halter-neck maxi dress. Elizabeth was not willing to be pitted by a woman with such inadequate taste, even if she was her closest friend. Beatrice dragged her down one of the uneven paths towards a covered archway, beneath which a tall figure was laughing loudly with a male companion. Only as they drew closer did she see that the tall figure was wearing high heels and a dress, Sophia from her capoeira class. Beatrice squeezed Elizabeth's arm. Isn't she mervelous? I met her at the lace market a few weeks ago. Sophia! This is- my friend, Elizabetta, the one I was telling you about, with the daughter. My goodness, it is impossibly warm tonight. Elizabeth stood quite still and thought about her walking stick on the floor by the bench. She badly needed to sit down now, but there were no chairs in sight, and Beatrice seemed to be making an exit, removing her scrawny brown hand from Elizabeth's elbow and flapping uselessly at the garden as though a breeze might be summoned from a wingless arm. The morphing calm had already evaporated. My daughter is in England. She is. I. I am not very well. Excuse me. Elizabeth turned to the house and forced her body forward. With every step, the house seemed to withdraw further into the hillside, and she staggered as she tried to catch her breath. From behind, she heard a gasp and a strong arm reach around her waist before her leg gave way. Elizabeth! Sophia gripped her hip and steered her towards the back door. You must rest. Come, sit with me. Tell me about your girl. Elizabeth strained to see Nicholas as she limped. She was standing on a chair. He was standing on a chair with his head thrown back, a flowerpot balanced on his chin. Oh! Key, Atlanta shouted, camera in hand. A little to your left, the light is perfect. My husband, Elizabeth gestured at the vignette on the terrace. We will fetch him later. The two women continued into the house where the smallest breeze fluttered in the hallway and moths battered against the walls above the lights. Elizabeth staggered in the last few steps of the bench she had so unwisely left. She could feel the sprightly presence of Sophia at her side, and a head of her velvet suit and caftan were glued to a book they appeared to be reading together. Thank you so much, she tilted as she reached for the bench. I will be fine now. Sophia darted forward with a little sweeping motion just as Elizabeth fell into the seat. She thought she might faint. or we'll be sick. She stared at the ceiling to catch her breath, and when she looked down, a trio of heads bobbed below her. I think this belongs to you, said Velvet's suit, an arm outstretched. In his hand, the stained clutch purse sagged, the contents spread over the floor. Red wine pooled against her overstretched shoes. Item by item, her belongings were retrieved and placed by her side. Assorted files of pills, makeup, her spectacles, an empty glass. Lastly, and with some ceremony, the walking stick was laid on her lap, duck-bill up. There, that is everything. Sophia stood and brushed at her lace skirt, the hem of which was now fringed a deep pink. I will speak to your husband. Elizabeth sat as straight as she could, her possessions displayed around her. Her whole body ached. From the ruined purse came a regular pulse of light. She reached inside for the block of phone and looked at the message. A missed call from Rachel, as if there were ever any other kind. Elizabeth put the phone down. I could die right here and not have to endure what comes next in this world. I don't have to outlive my daughter. She waited for a few minutes, and when Nicholas came in from the garden, he found her upright and asleep, her head folded forward. She screamed when her husband touched her and clutched at her heart. I'm still here, so it seems, my love. Am I here? Am I your love, Nicky? you better be, he said not unkindly and held out an arm. Do you see my flowerpot dance? I couldn't help it, Elizabeth stood. You looked ridiculous. Nicholas smiled. (laughs) I did, didn't I? (laughs) Do you want any of your things? Waved at the assorted items below. A delicate column of ants circled the pool of wine at her feet. The message light on the phone continued to blink. Not much, she said, turning away from the bench. They're not very me.